Hopefully you and I can learn a little bit about true friendship today as well. As I said, every week during our Ohana Factor series, we're going to get to know that crew there in the office because what we learn here has to work out there. What we learn here in God's word about relationships, about our Ohana has to work out there in our office space, in our home space, at school, when we're at play. It has to work out there because God's truth wants to invade every relationship in our life. And the relationship we're going to learn about today is how to be a true friend. So every week we're going to get to know our office staff a little bit more. We're also going to get to know a new biblical character every week. And this week we're going to learn about Jonathan, who was a true friend to David. And uh, what's a true friend? Well, at the top of your notes, Proverbs 18, 24 gives us a good look at what a true friend looks like. Would you guys read this with me? Ready? Go. One who has unreliable friends soon comes to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. You guys have probably heard the phrase, you are the company that you keep, right? And that's what this proverb is talking about. If you are with unreliable friends, guess what you become? Unreliable. If you are with true friends, you become a true friend. You are defined by the company that you keep. I know some of us are kind of like going, uh-oh. Yeah, but it's true, right? You will be known by your friends, and your friends will influence you, and you will influence them. And what we're after here today is not just kind of your average friend or your follower on Facebook or surfacy friend. No, what we're after is a true friend, someone who sticks closer than a brother or someone who sticks closer than a sister. And, and we have, friends are so important. We have so many names for friends, like a bro, buddy, BFF, bestie, boys, brosive, brada, and bra. Or chica, chum, cuz, dog, girlfriend. And what about homie, homeboy, homegirl, home dog, home fry, home skillet, home slice, and homes? And what about Habib and Kimosabi and mate and pal and squad and thug and tight and wingman and brother from another mother and sister from another mister? I don't know what you call your friends, but all of us need them, right? We all need friends in our lives. And in order to have a friend, we must be a friend. I remember coming home from school and telling my mom, Mom, it's not fair. No one likes me and I don't have any friends. It's so not fair. I'm just not cool enough, and I don't play sports, and I don't have any friends. And of course, you know, last week was Mother's Day, and we found out that what moms say, it's always right. And my mom said, she said, well, John, in order to have a friend, you've got to be a friend. I'm like, that's so lame, Mom. I'm totally friendly. I'm like the friendliest person ever. I don't know why I don't have any friends. But Mom was right. If we want to have friends, we got to be friends. If we want to have true friends, we've got to be true friends. And so the goal here today is not to point fingers at why everyone else is so unfriendly. The goal here today is to look at our own hearts and examine and say, how can I be more of a true friend in the relationships in my life? And, and the first step is this. You can feel this in your first blank. I must move past the superficial. These are the surfacey and the supplemental things in our life that we can live with or without. These are the, those things that are kind of like where our culture wants us to stay at, the superficial. My challenge to you today is that we would stop splashing around in the shallow puddle of fake friendships and that you and I would go deeper into true friendships where we actually know each other better. And the reason why we don't is because our culture keeps us so busy on the surface. So much of what consumes our time and our energy and our affections and our emotions and our attentions, it's all superficial. It's just skin deep. You want an example? Okay, remember what consumed everybody's time not too long ago? What color is this dress? 
Yeah, you guys remember, right? Uh, it's either blue and black or it's white and gold. Looking at this picture, raise your hand if you see blue and black. Okay, raise your hand if you see white and gold. Okay, we're all looking at the same picture and yet half of us see something different. I see blue and black. Let's hear it for the blue and black people. Come on, come on, come on. Yeah. But my wife sees white and gold, so she's going to have an issue with you guys, as, as she did with me. She's like, how can you see blue and black? I'm, it's in my eyes. I'm looking at the same thing. But ultimately, it doesn't matter. There's scientific reasons why we can look at the same picture and see something different. But it doesn't matter. That's superficial. It's not what we should spend any time or energy on, especially when you look at the most recent thing that's consumed our time and energy this week. Are you hearing Yanny or Laurel? Now, if you don't know what I'm talking about, congratulations, thanks for staying off the internet. But for the rest of us, you know what I'm talking about, so I'm gonna play a recording and you're going to either hear Yanny or Laurel. We're all gonna listen to the same thing. Ready, go. Laurel, 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 Laurel. <laughs> okay, you guys got it? Raise your hand if you heard Yanny. Okay, raise your hand if you heard Laurel. How in the world is that possible? We all listen to the same thing. And half of us heard one thing, and the other half heard another, and then Uncle Doug over here, he heard dairy. So, which automatically proves he's on a different frequency altogether, and that's what we love about him. But when you look in the science, because of course I had to find out why my wife could hear Yanny and I heard Laurel, and the science says this. Well, it's, uh, Yanny is on a higher frequency, and so those with younger or better hearing, you heard Yanny, which means that the Laurel is on a lower frequency. Those with us with worse hearing, we heard Laurel. So can I hear for the Laurels in the room? Come on. Should I say that a little louder? Maybe you didn't hear me. Laurels, Laurels, guys, Laurels. <laughs> and of course, the internet being the internet already came up with this meme right here. Laurel called, she wants her dress back any day now. <laughs> I just had to give you a case in point on what is superficial. None of that stuff matters. It's, yes, it's fun and it's cute, but it's ridiculous and yet it consumes so much of our time. And ultimately, whether you agree with what color the dress is or what that recording is saying, none of that matters. When push comes to shove and life gets really hard and hell and high water are consuming our lives, that's when we need to know who has our back and who is a true friend. So in order to learn from that, we're gonna learn from the example of Jonathan. Now, David gets most of the play. And I feel like I am... Um, kind of uniquely equipped to speak on Jonathan and David, considering that that is actually my first two names. Yeah, some of you guys may not have realized that, but my full name is Jonathan, my middle name is David. And so when I was, you know, moping around as a kid and I didn't have any friends, I would go, well, at least I can be my own best friend. <laughs> Come on, John, get over yourself. Anyways, we're gonna talk about Jonathan and what he was for David. David, we know a lot about David, King David, uh, you know, he, he is the, uh, of course, the man after God's own heart, and, and Jesus was from the lineage of David, and we, all, we understand that that's why most of us know a lot about him, but hardly any of us understand that David wouldn't have been able to see what God had for his life had not Jonathan helped him to get there. What I'm hoping you understand before the end of this service today is how important your true friends are to helping you see the purposes of God realized in your life. 
We cannot do it alone. And where we pick up here is right after David's biggest and most famous battle, the battle against Goliath. This guy showed up fresh off the shepherd fields, probably still wearing a shepherd's tunic. He shows up not to do battle with anybody, but to check on his brothers. And along with everybody else, his brothers are hiding in the tents, shaking at this big old Philistine giant, probably 12 to 16 feet tall, standing in the middle of the field, shouting insults at God, at his people. David looks around and says, what's wrong with you guys? How come you guys are letting him speak about our God this way? And no one wanted to fight him. So he marches right up to him with nothing more than a sling and a stone and an unshakable faith in God and knocks him down with one throw. And no one knew who David was 24 hours before. And now everybody knows who David is now. Everybody is shouting his name. They're even coming out of songs about David. And it's this whirlwind experience where literally 24 hours before, he was doing what he did every day before that, time with the sheep. And then he shows up and, and, and he says to Saul, listen, God has given me victory over the bear and the lion. He will give me victory over this giant. He had such an unshakable faith. And as he's telling Saul this, someone is standing next to Saul. And his name was Jonathan. Jonathan was the firstborn. He was the one next in line for the crown. And that's where we pick up here in 1 Samuel chapter 18. After David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan became one spirit with David and he loved him as himself. Now let's stop right there. What in the world just happened there? Let me give you an example. You can tell the difference between someone who knows churchianity and someone who actually lives out Christianity. Churchianity, they don't know all the churchisms and all the lingo, but they don't really have a relationship with God. They have a religion with them but not a relationship with them. You could tell the difference because when you hear somebody talking, they're not just talking about like the concept of a God or the idea of a God. They're talking as if they personally know him, like they spend time talking to him, like they walk with him every single day. And because that is your pursuit, your heart immediately goes, wait a minute, I haven't heard anybody talking like that. I've got to get to know this person. And then your walk in Christ helps you walk closer with Christ. That's what was going on here. Jonathan, like David, had an unshakable faith in God. How do I know? A few chapters previous, Jonathan felt like God was saying to take down an entire Philistine army. Not his dad, not anyone else wanted to do it. So Jonathan, his armor bearer, and God himself took down a whole Philistine army. Jonathan hadn't heard anybody talking like David did. He's standing there next to his dad, hearing how David is talking about God, as if he knew God himself, as if he spent days writing songs to God, which, of course, he did. That's the book of Psalms. And, and he understood this is a man that is not only serving God, but he knows God on a personal level. I've got to get to know this guy. I want to support what's going on with him. And it says that he loved him as himself. Now, I've got to stop right there before we go any farther because we live in an oversexed culture that reads into Scripture something that is now currently true of our own culture. And let me just make it clear right off the bat, the Hebrew word for love here is not of a sexual nature. It's about loyalty fealty, duty, friendship, covering each other as one man to another. It has nothing to do with any sexual relationships at all. And I need to say that because I am tired of this ridiculous thing. It's already hard enough for guys to be real with each other. And then we put this other thing on them saying, hey, you guys, what's going on there? No, listen, guys, we need each other like Jonathan needed David, like David needed Jonathan. This lie that says you and I as guys can get through life on our own is nothing more than that. It's a lie. 
And we need a few people in our corner that we can be absolutely sure have our back. And that's what Jonathan was to David. From the day, that day, Saul kept David with him and did not let him return home to his family. And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Note that word covenant. And Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing and gave it to David along with his tunic and even his sword, his bow, and his belt. What's going on there? He's making a covenant with David. In those days, covenant was everything between nations, between kings, between people. In our day, really one of the only uh, examples left of covenant that we have in our modern day is the wedding covenant. And what do you do when you marry, a man marries a woman, they, they exchange what? Rings. So that there is something personal and a value now forever with the other person, marking that person as being in covenant with somebody else. So when Jonathan is giving over his sword and his royal tunic and his bow and his arrow, what he's saying is in front of his dad, Saul, in front of all the courtiers and everyone else in, in, that, in the royal palace, he's saying, I am officially endorsing the work of God in David. And this is astounding. Why? Because if there's anyone that should have been threatened by David's success, it should have been Jonathan. He was the one next in line. He was the one next destined for the crown. He should have been absolutely uh, appalled and offended and looking for ways to stab this guy in the back, not, not clothe him and give him his own sword, but just building off of last week's message, instead of a backstabber, Jonathan became a back coverer for David. Instead of loathing this man that was standing in front of him, he pledged his loyalty to him. Instead of competing with David, he wanted to collaborate with David to see God's people succeed through the anointing that was on David's life. Rumor was already passing around that Samuel was going to anoint David the next king of Israel because Saul's sin and turning against God. Instead of jealousy, Jonathan felt joy looking at David and how God was using him. Instead of contempt or empty compliments to play some kind of a political game to get him in his pocket, no, instead he was like, no, this is a covenant. I want to have a covenant relationship with you, and I want it to be public so everyone knows that even the king's son, who should be competing, who should be undermining, who should feel threatened by this man, is instead saying, I recognize God's work in your life. Now that is the sign of a true friend. There's nothing superficial about what Jonathan is doing here. And if you and I want somebody like that in our life that isn't uh, stabbing us in the back, we have to be that person in our life. And, and I love how David walked in as a pauper, a kid off the fields, and walks out looking like a prince. He walks in there with, uh, as a shepherd and walks out looking like a shrewd warrior. We read of David's exploits in the chapters to come. How did he learn how to use a sword and a, a bow and arrow? He only knew how to use a sling as a shepherd would. How, who taught him? More than likely, it was Jonathan. Jonathan not only gave him the weaponry to succeed as a future king, but trained him on how to use it. And that's what a true friend does. A true friend says, I want to see you succeed. I would rather see your star shine brighter than mine because I see what God's doing in you. I am not going to feel threatened by you. And we see how rare that is in a culture of self-promotion, right? We live in a culture that's all about, I want you to look at me. I want my 15 minutes of fame, and I'll step on whoever I need to step on so that I can get it, even at the cost of my friends. 
What a rare and beautiful thing to see what Jonathan did for David. And I'm wondering if we would be willing to do the same, to set up a friend for success, even at the risk of no one even noticing us. We want a true friend like that. We got to be a true friend like that. And it's only going to happen by being in the same room together. Now, I am so thankful for all of you that are joining us online. We have about 3,000 generally in attendance that join us during the weekend services online. So thankful for technology that allows us to be able to connect this way. But there's one thing that really bums me out. I can't see any of your faces. I'm assuming you guys are smiling and that you're laughing at my jokes, right? Okay, just making sure. You're not grumpy or mad or, you know, you, I mean, listen, I'm just going to assume you all are smiling at me, but I can't see you. Whereas when I'm looking here, I can see everyone's beautiful faces and you guys all look amazing. And I'm so glad you're here because it would be really awkward to stand on the stage if no one was here. It would just be kind of strange. Plus, I'm really glad, too, that I can hear you laugh at my jokes, even when they're not funny. Thank you guys so much. Really, really means a lot to me. I'm assuming you guys are laughing online. Make, make sure you laugh, okay? But, but I, can't, I can't know that. And that's the thing that we would just realize is that nothing can duplicate being in the same room together. No, no matter how advanced we get with technology and digital, digitally uh, you know, reproducing everything, nothing can replace this. Uh, Jonathan couldn't have actually handed his weaponry over to David unless they were in the same room together. Now, why, why are you pointing this out, John? Because in our day and age, where everything is online and surfacing, the only way you and I are going to get real, true friends is by going old school. I'm talking analog. I'm talking eight-track. I'm talking pay phones, landlines, actually getting in the room together, flesh and blood conversations where we are actually sharing the same space. Nothing can replace this. To tell you a little bit more about that, take a look at this video. Did you know the average person spends four years of his life looking down at his cell phone? Kind of ironic, ain't it? How these touch screens can make us lose touch. But it's no wonder in a world filled with iMacs, iPads, and iPhones, so many eyes, so many selfies, not enough us's and we's. See, technology has made us more selfish and separate than ever. Because while it claims to connect us, connection has gotten no better. And let me express first, Mr. Zuckerberg, not to be rude, but you should reclassify Facebook to what it is, an anti social network because while we may have big friend lists so many of us are friendless all alone because friendships are more broken than the screens on our very phones we sit at home on our computers measuring self-worth by numbers of followers and likes ignoring those who actually love us it seems we'd rather write an angry post and talk to someone who might actually hug us am i bugging you tell me because I asked a friend the other day, let's meet up face to face. They said, all right, what time you want to Skype? I responded with OMG, SRS, and then a bunch of SMHs and realized, what about me? Do I not have the patience to have conversation without abbreviation? This is the generation of media overstimulation. Chats have been reduced to snaps. The news is 140 characters. Videos are six seconds at high speed. And you wonder why ADD is on the rise faster than 4G LTE. But get a load of this. Studies show the attention span of the average adult today is one second lower 
than that of a goldfish. So if you're one of the few people or aquatic animals that have yet to click off or close this video, congratulations. Let me finish by saying you do have a choice, yes. But this one, my friends, we cannot autocorrect. We must do it ourselves. Take control or be controlled, make a decision, me? No longer do I want to spoil a precious moment by recording it with a phone. I'm just going to keep them. I don't want to take a picture of all my meals anymore. I'm just going to eat them. I don't want the new app, the new software, or the new update. And if I want to post an old photo, who says I have to wait until Thursday? I'm so tired of performing in the pageantry of vanity and conforming to this accepted form of digital insanity. Call me crazy, but... I imagine a world where we smile when we have low batteries Cause that'll mean we'll be one bar closer To humanity According to a recent survey, 61% of adults Say they believe social media has made people less social, less capable of deep friendships and strong connections. Furthermore, Americans are twice as likely today to say they are lonely compared to 10 years ago. 10 years ago before our technical and communication boom. We had to, in order to build relationships, actually be in the same room with them, actually talk to each other. I'm not, I'm not anti-tech, I use tech, I'm using it right now. But I'm just saying, in the scope of true friendship, to think that we can have that outside of actual conversation with each other, we're fooling ourselves. And in a culture that wants to keep us superficial and surfacy, wants to keep us self-promoting instead of God-promoting, maybe you and I, we create a movement of face-to-face -face rather than FaceTime that you and I would actually prioritize coffee with each other, conversation over musubi, whatever it takes, but that you and I would prioritize this time together. And when we do, that's when we begin to hear the inflection in each other's voices. You know, so much more is communicated through the body than even the words. And we miss all of that over texts and even FaceTime. So much is missed and lost because of our speed of our culture. We want true friends, we need to be them. In order to be a true friend, we need to prioritize what matters most. Maybe less time online and more time face to face. What is that? That's a willingness to say, I am here to be a true friend to you, like Jonathan was to David. That's a willingness to say that instead of being defensive or offensive, I'm gonna be supportive of what God is doing in your life. You can feel that in your second blank. To be a true friend, we must be supportive of what God is doing. And where we pick up here with Jonathan and David two chapters later is uh, things have definitely changed in the environment. David is no longer welcome in King Saul's court. In fact, when he shows his face there, King Saul gets so angry and so jealous that he tries to pin David to the wall with a spear. So David is now on the run, running for his life, and we pick up here where Jonathan and David are coming back together and they actually have an argument. First Samuel 20, one through four, then David fled from Naoth and Ramah, went to Jonathan and asked, what have I done? What is my crime? How have I wronged your father that he is trying to kill me? Never, never. 
Jonathan replied. You're not going to die. Look, my father doesn't do anything great or small without letting me know. Why would he hide this from me? It isn't so. But David took an oath and said, Your father knows very well that I have found favor in your eyes. And he has said to himself, Jonathan must not know this or he will be grieved. Yet as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, there is only a step between me and death. Let's pause right there. I want you to think about your best friend right now and think about their parent wanting to kill you, okay? Make your uh, relationship a little awkward, right? A little tense. Next time you're having coffee, yeah, I know my mom wants to kill you, but don't take it personally. It's not that big of a deal. (laughs) You know the whole spear thing? Really, it's just a one-time thing. You're welcome to come over to the house tonight for dinner. Probably going to put a little tension in your relationship, right? Now, thankfully, you and I don't usually have to do with our best friend's parents trying to kill us, but we do have to deal with the tensions that are a reality in every relationship. And the tensions are rising here because uh, David is essentially saying to Jonathan, your dad's a murderer and he's going to kill me. And of course, Jonathan, loving his dad, is saying, no, 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 you're fine. You're, you're overreacting. It's, it's not that big of a deal. It's, it's not going to happen. And David, of course, out of the two, we understand if you are familiar with the, the story, out of the two, which one was right in their assessment? Yeah, it was David. Uh, Jonathan, of course, was a little blinded because he loved his dad. And he's wanting to think the best of him. And yet, what I love is that instead of Jonathan getting defensive, as many of us would if someone's accusing our parents of doing something, someone's accusing someone that we love of doing something bad or, or being evil or awful, most of us would, would get defensive. But Jonathan doesn't do that. Instead of Jonathan uh, being offensive towards David and saying, well, it's your own fault, David, if you wouldn't go out and you know, be winning all these battles and stuff and doing, oh, look at me, I'm God's anointed, maybe my dad wouldn't be so mad at you. Right? But he doesn't get offensive either. Instead, he's supportive. And he says these amazing words. Whatever you want me to do, I'll do for you. No truer words of true friendship have been spoken. Whatever you want me to do, I'll do for you. With those words, Jonathan knew exactly what he was doing. He was inserting himself in the very dangerous gap between his father and his friend. And in that situation, he was covering both. You see, in Scripture, we are called to the office or the practice of intercession. It's not a word that we use a lot, but it paints the verbal picture of standing in the gap where no one else wants to stand on behalf of the purposes of God being perpetuated in his people through prayer. So Jonathan is saying not just through prayer, but through action, David, I'm going to cover you. And dad, I'm going to cover you. He was keeping his dad from coming under the wrath of God by killing God's anointed. He was covering David by saying, I will stand. I will protect you. I will make sure that I let you know when my dad is coming after you. And he was saying, I will be in this extremely uncomfortable place. What we learn from there is that in order to be a supportive, true friend, it means you and I cannot play it safe nor be comfortable. We cannot uh, just pretend like everything's going to be fine. I'm just going to make everybody happy. Listen, if you are surrounded right now with people that are just uh, yes people, just telling you what you want to hear, those relationships are not going to be deep enough to withstand the hard things of life. 
If you want to be a true friend and you want to have a true friend, you must be willing to intercede on their behalf when you know God is doing something that the enemy is trying to destroy. It means that you will insert yourself in tense situations that you would rather avoid or ignore simply because God has put you there. Jonathan took it upon himself to see that David would live even at the cost of his relationship with his father and ultimately his own life just to see David succeed. Now talk about support. Now how, how do we get there, John? How do, how do we get to that place where we're willing to do that for someone else? Well, we've got to take, take our relationship a couple levels down. According to clinical psychologist Dan Montgomery, he says he, he likens it to an elevator. And most of us spend our time on the fourth floor, facade level. This is where we were talking about earlier with the dress and the, you know, the names. It's, it's social media. It's small talk. It's weather, sports, earthquakes, family, state of the world, getting acquainted. Most of us spend our time, a lot of our time, right there. Maybe we'll uh, hit the button and go one floor lower and uh, acquaintance level and reveal some private sentiments and some opinions. This is when we begin to risk talking about things that can be a little touchy like politics, religion, sex, marriage other things like that, but most of us hang out on these two floors. Then you hit the button, go to the third floor, now you're at the friendship level, and this is where you're emotionally vulnerable. You begin to share all sorts of feelings. You hold back on the deeper stuff, but you begin to look for compatibility, empathy, mutual trust. Can I really trust this person? So you begin to share a little bit more. And finally, the fourth and bottom floor is intimacy. This is full disclosure. This is where you're sharing the good, the bad, and the ugly with your friend. Memories, wounds, reflections that make us who we are. You can feel shame, but you're going to know you're sharing it in the right place because instead of them leaving you in shame or making you feel ashamed, they help you take it to the cross and you find healing in that place. You share your heart's desires and your dreams. And clinical psychologists, counselors, they say if you are in marriage, if you are married in covenant relationship with somebody and you're only on those two floors you're going to need to make sure you get some counseling. It's not a shame thing, but it's basically saying if you are sharing your life with somebody, you need to make sure you get down to the friendship and the intimacy level for your own sake. We need somebody who we can be raw and real with. We need some places where we can let down our guard and be all messy, and they're going to know what to do with it. Take it to the cross, not take it anywhere else. Not to tell us what we want to hear, but just like Jonathan did with David, that God would do the same through our friends and do the same through us for the friends around us. So how, how do we do that? How do we get there? Well, it's important that you and I understand that every one of us needs at least one deep friend, one true friend. If you're married, that friend should first of all start as your spouse. Yes, if you're stuck on floor one or two with your spouse, this is a good thing to begin to work on. And again, this is not about you pointing at your spouse going, well, I'm waiting for him to go and push the button to go to the next floor. No, no, it's not about them. It's about you. You and I cannot point our fingers at the other person. We got to say, God, how can I go deeper in my own life, in my own relationships, be more supportive of my spouse? And it's important to do that. If you feel supported, you're going to open up. You're going to go a little bit deeper, share a little bit more. But it's also important that specifically for those who are married, that your spouse has someone outside of you that they can be true with, that they can be messed up with and totally real with. Guys with guys, girls with girls. 
Why is that important? Well, I remember when I first got married, I was like insecure, and Cindy was my best friend. I, I tell my boys, I'm like, please, please, please do not marry anybody you're not a best friend with. Don't jump to the romantic thing before you even know if you even like to hang out with each other. Make sure you actually enjoy each other's company first because that's gonna be the thing that's gonna help your marriage last. So Cindy and I were best friends and then we got married. We were like, I, I can't wait to spend the rest of my life with you. But she had this girlfriend that was also her best friend and she would go out after we got married and spend hours and hours talking with her girlfriend. And she would come back and I'd be like, what's the deal? What's the deal? Well, you, how, how could you talk to her for that long? Well, I was just sharing my heart and we were talking about things and I'm like, I thought you shared your heart with me. I'm your husband. I thought you were, I, we, we were best friends. Well, we are, John, but I just, it was important for me to be able to get this from, from my girlfriend and I'm like, well, that doesn't even make sense. I have a guy friend, we talk, we get it all done in about 15 minutes and then we turn the game on. <laughs> what do you, you talk about for all that long? And I was so defensive and so insecure and, and it was like the, I was praying about it and the Lord just said, John, you should thank me that your wife has a girlfriend like that that she can trust herself with because you don't have everything that she needs. And I'm like, what? I don't, what do you mean? And it's true, guys, we don't. Pray that your wife would find a woman that's gonna move her towards the things of God. And it's the same for us, guys. I know that we feel like we can just get it. We're lone soldiers, we're lone wolf. We'll get on our own, we'll, we'll be fine. But just like Jonathan and David, you and I need at least one other person outside of our spouse that we'll, we can be raw and real with. And please let me clarify since I'm talking about this. I'm not talking about a woman, guys. If your friend outside of your marriage is a woman, take that puppy back up to the first floor, okay? <laughs> You do not need to be sharing your woes and your griefs and your dreams and your delights with any other woman but your wife. Okay, guys, same for women. Don't think you're off the hook here. Oh, but my husband doesn't ever listen to me. Well, you don't need to be taking that to another guy who seems like, oh, he's always paying attention to my dreams and he cares about what I'm saying. No, no, you take that puppy up to the first floor and you stay there. Facade level, acquaintance level, that's as low as you're going to go with a guy that's not your husband. Can I hear an amen in the room, please? Okay, this stuff needs to be talked about. And since I'm on the subject anyways, let me go ahead and make, make sure this is clear. We live in a culture right now where people are going from the first floor to the fourth floor in four seconds flat. Where before the internet and all this full disclosure oversharing that we have on the internet, you wouldn't hear the secrets thing that are now posted wide for the world to read about. You wouldn't hear those unless you were in covenant relationship with somebody. And now, someone, I say yes to someone who wants to be a friend on Facebook, and all of a sudden I'm like, oh, I shouldn't know that about you. Because I don't even know you. And now I know everything about you. And why, why is that destructive? Because those kind of things, those deep friend and intimacy things, should only be kept for covenant relationships. And you and I aren't going to have covenant relationships online. It's only going to happen in person. And can I just encourage, especially our younger brothers and sisters in here, ask yourself before you post something why you feel like you need to disclose all of these details. Isn't it usually because... You're not getting enough attention or affection from the flesh and blood relationships in your life and you're fishing for someone to notice you and to approve you and give you validity and worth. Can I just say, do not post that stuff online. It encourages voyeurism. 
It encourages people to victimize you. Things that are valuable, sacred, and secret that should be kept for the safety of covenant, trustworthy friends should not be shared online. And if you're wondering about your worth and your value, come talk to me or one of our pastors here, and we would love to remind you that you were made in the image of God. It's moving from what's in it for me to what can I do for you. That's what we're talking about here. And it doesn't happen overnight. These kind of true friendships, you don't, you don't go in those, those lower levels of the elevator auto, automatically. It takes time. And our instant gratification, instantaneous culture, we don't like to invest the time that it needs to have a real relationship. I remember when I first arrived back in Kona to take uh, New Hope Legacy and get that church going over there, um, I, I didn't know that the guy that lived across the street, Makana Delovio, was going to become one of my besties, one of my best friends. I didn't know that. I just knew that he had seven kids and I had five, so he was crazier than I was. <laughs> and that ended up starting our relationship there, and so we just started talking story, and uh, we invited them to the church, and they started coming, and, and he has his heart for ministry, and, and, and all of this stuff, and God just began to connect our hearts, but it was the day that he took me surfing that I knew I had found a trustworthy friend. You see, he had grown up in Kona, and he was, uh, all, him and all his kids, they all surfed. And so he's like, John, I'm going to teach you how to surf. And I'm like, well, I'm not so good at the whole athleticism thing. And my balance is, it's a coordination. It's, it's not so much there. And he's like, I can teach anybody how to surf. And I'm like, okay. So he hands me the board. And he's like, okay, let's try this on the shore first. Okay, you're going to be down like this. And then you're going to go like this. And then you're going to be down like this. And like this. And I'm like, okay, I've got it. I've got it. And he's like, okay. So all we got to do is paddle out there past the breakers and then I'll show you when to get up and, and, and you're, you're going to surf before the day is done. I'm like, awesome. So we all hop into the water. His daughters are there on their boards and he's on the board and I'm on the board and we start paddling out. And more paddling out. <laughs> and even more of that paddling out to the place and I'm looking behind me I'm like, what the, we haven't even gone anywhere. My muscles are already burning. My chest is, is burning. I'm like, Makata, how much further? He's like, you're almost there. Look, right there. We're almost there. His daughters are like already ahead, you know, of us. And, and he's like, come on, John, you can do it. I'm like, okay, all right. And, uh, apparently you have to have a lot of upper body strength to get out there. And so I finally get out and he's like, okay, turn the board around and get ready for the wave. And I'll tell you when to stand up. And I'm like, turn the board. Okay, turn the board. And I was trying to move my arms <laughs> to turn the board. And I they were like jello. It was like, I, I can't turn the board. And so he came over and he helped me turn the board around for me. He's like, okay, now you have to start paddling when I say paddle. So you get the right amount of speed so you can step up and you'll be surfing away. And I'm like, what? I got to paddle? He's like, yes, you got to paddle. Okay, one, two, three, here comes a wave, paddle. Oh, I can't paddle. I can't paddle. I was so miserably in pain there. And then he's like, John, John, here's another wave. And the course is going, you know, rolls over me. And I'm like, I get trying to get back on the board, you know, like this without using my arms. I was so tired. I was so exhausted. I'm like, how much longer are we going to do this? He's like, you haven't stood up yet. <laughs> you you got to go. And it was so bad. I'm going to have to turn in my man card after this story. But... He finally realized that there wasn't going to happen on that day. <clears throat> and he had his daughters on their surfboards. He's like, guys, push John back into shore. 
So picture me like a lump on a log getting pushed back on shore by his daughters. Oh, it was so sad. I was so ashamed. I'm like, what a miserable failure. And, and, and he came in, of course, we laughed about it and stuff, but here's what was so cool, how I realized, oh, this is, this is someone that I can trust. It's like, he didn't shame me. He didn't mock me. He didn't say, well, you're, never, you're such a loser. You're never going to be able to do this. Instead, he started saying, well, you know what? I should Today was a lot rougher than I thought it was going to be. I should have taken you somewhere where you didn't have to paddle all the way out to the, the breakers right there because they have to have a lot of upper body strength. He said, it took me years before I could be able to do and, and surf in this spot. You know, he just started saying all these things to try and encourage me. And little did I know that the friendship that was kind of burgeoning in that moment right there would result in the man who was going to take my spot in pastoring that church so I could come pastor this one. I had no idea that that's what God had in store. And so while he helped me figure out how to get through the white waters and develop strength of muscle to be able to surf, I've been doing the same for him in ministry because that's his first pastorate in Kona. And we talk to each other every single week, week in and week out. We cry with each other, we laugh with each other, we argue with each other, and we support each other. We get all ugly and messy and take each other back to the cross, working through anything and everything. Did it happen overnight? No. But I wouldn't be able to make it if I didn't have Makana in my life. And guys, specifically guys, women tend to be better at prioritizing this. Guys, you can't get where God is asking you to go if you try and go there alone. We sing greater together, but do we actually believe that? The proof of whether we believe that is if we're willing to take the elevator a couple layers deeper, if we're willing to invest time and trust. And I know, I know what you're thinking, guys. You're like, hey, John, I've tried that whole thing before. It doesn't work. People just left me high and dry. They left me hanging. They took what I said and twisted it. Listen, I know you've been burnt. I know you've been broken. But become a true friend and God will bring you one. It's his promise. And that'll take us to the place where you and I are willing to lay down our lives for each other to be sacrificial. And you can fill that in your third blank there. Receive and give a love that is sacrificial. Now, in our day and age of self-service, self-promotion, self-infatuation, to be sacrificial in a relationship is very rare. But I'm, I'm urging each of us to move from that place of what's in it for me to instead asking, what can I do for you? And where we pick up here in 1 Samuel 20, Jonathan has realized David was right all along. Saul is out for blood. And he has to, for the sake of David's life, tell him to flee Israel. And this is where we pick up. Jonathan says, but show me unfailing kindness like the Lord's kindness as long as I live. And I love this, you guys, because what does he do? He brings into the situation of the crisis, he brings in the reality of God's love. A true friend will always remind you of God's faithfulness when you are surrounded by a fearful circumstance. A true friend will always call you back to the place of kindness when you are surrounded by cruel circumstances. A true friend will always bring you back to the words of God when you have the words of defeat that are surrounding you. That's what Jonathan was doing for David. He said, um, that I may not be killed and, and do not ever cut off your kindness from my family, not even when the Lord has cut off every one of David's enemies from the face of the earth. What's he doing now? Jonathan's literally prophesying over David what's about to happen. If you follow the narrative, this is exactly what happened. God subdues all of David's enemies 
and Jonathan's speaking about his dad. And, and Jonathan is prophesying over him. Not right now, you can imagine the fear, the pain, the panic that's in David's mind. He doesn't know, but he's about to be on the run for his life for a couple years while Saul tries to hunt him down. What word do you think David came back to over and over again? I'm betting it had to do with this prophetic word right here. It said, there will be a day when God will conquer all of your enemies. In fact, you can find those very words in some of David's psalms that he wrote while hiding in a cave, fearful for his life. What you and I need, what we need to be, what we need to have is not people that are going to spout spiritual platitudes when things are hard. That's the last thing we need. I don't need churchianity. I need someone who knows Christ. I don't need your words of of saying, oh, it's all going to be fine. I need you to pray for me and prophesy over me what the truth of God is over my life because it's the last thing I feel when I'm running for my life. And if you and I want those kind of people to speak into our life, we need to be those kind of people who care enough for each other that we will not just simply say words that are empty or meaningless, but we will pray in intercession on each other's behalf and speak words of truth and life that will carry our friends through the hardest of times. So Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, may the Lord call David's enemies to account. And Jonathan had David reaffirm his oath out of love for him because he loved him as he loved himself. What's it mean to have a sacrificial love? It means you're willing to lay down your life for your friend. And in fact, this is actually what Jesus calls us to do. Not suggests, commands. It's not in your, in your notes, but it's up here on the screen. John 15, 12 through 15 says, My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love is no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. Do you know that's how God sees you? As a friend? The true proof of a true friend is that the more time you spend with them, the closer you get to Jesus. If you are surrounding yourselves with friends right now that are moving your heart away from the Lord, those are not true friends. You must invest into relationships that will move you towards Christ, not away from him. Let me close with this story. A couple weeks ago, we had our water baptism in April out at Magic Island. And it was my first time getting to do a water baptism with my wife, Cindy. And it was so fun because uh, just it's one of the favorite things that I get to do, but I've never had a chance to baptize six people at the same time. And so I was like, Cindy, get ready, because all these, all these friends, they all want to get baptized at the same time, and we were just meeting all of them. And I asked for some of their story and how they all met, and Jordan sent me an email to allow me to explain that this amazing way that God brought these guys together. He wrote, I guess our story began when I decided to ask Thomas and Janine if they wanted to go to church with me. I don't know what came over me to ask them such a random question, but all I knew was that I felt like I never gave God the chance that he deserved. For me, I was initially just trying to plan for my future, trying to figure out what would happen to me after I died. Really important question. So I decided to research, research God, and then decide what I felt was right. So after asking Thomas and Janine if they'd want to come to church with me, surprisingly, they said yes. After a couple of months of very emotional growth towards God, we began to give back and we started feeding the homeless through New Hope's feeding ministry and we also began to do Bible studies with my mom. 
And they began to build relationships with others that liked to go do adventures around the island and then began to meet each other through Instagram. And they would say, hey, we're going to go do this hike. And on, on some of these hikes, they began to discover that they had all come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And they mutually, as a group, said, why don't we all get baptized together? New Hope's having a water baptism. Let's all get baptized together. And as we stood in that circle on the water, all of them holding hands, we, I went to each and every one of them and said, why are you getting baptized today? Why do you have a faith in Jesus Christ? And each of them spoke about how God used the others in that circle to challenge their growth in faith, just like Jonathan with David, each of them were in that water, willing to risk even what people would think for a public declaration of Jesus Christ. And they all got, they all came into the water, and I think we got a picture of it right here. And there, there's the crew right there. And I sent this picture to Cindy, and she's like, whoa, ab sandwich. I'm like, well, you're talking about my abs, right, huh? Right? I mean, the only reason I was wearing a shirt was because, you know, I need, people needed to know it was New Hope, otherwise... This, right? She said, John, I think we're the bread on that sandwich. Yes. <laughs> so it's so amazing to be able to pray with these, uh, these six friends that challenged each other in growth. And as they were baptized, uh, they, they, uh, since that day, they've grown closer and deeper through Christ fed the homeless every month, haven't skipped a service, give back through their tithes and offerings, got baptized, Bible study every week, devotions every day, sure it hurts and laughs, adventures around the island, and now they're going to Bali. Can you guys stand up so we can thank you for sharing your faith with us? Can we thank them, you guys? Thank you, guys. A couple of the guys are off island right now, but before we take communion, I want us to be able to answer that simple question. Am I a friend with God? Because you can't give what you haven't first received, and the way that they were all able to challenge each other towards faith in Christ, they had to first receive that faith themselves. And then they were able to challenge each other to growth and friendship in Christ. Then maybe you're saying, Don, I don't have that, those kind of friends. Well, it just starts with one friend and he will bring the others to you. It starts with a friendship with the one who made you, the one who died for you, the one who did what Jonathan did for David and laid down his life for you. And before we take communion, I just wanna make sure that there's not a single one of us here that has any doubt about your relationship with Jesus Christ. We could bow our heads, close our eyes. If you're here this morning, God has designed it so that you would know that you are forever friends with God. If you're wondering that if you were to die today, that you would be received wholly and freely into heaven, you don't have to wonder anymore. This moment has been crafted and designed so that you could know an eternal friendship with God, with your Lord and your Savior, Jesus Christ. There doesn't have to be a doubt. There doesn't have to be a wonder. There doesn't have to be a fear. It has nothing to do with what you've done. It has everything to do with what he's done for you. He's already reached down through heaven, through his son, Jesus Christ, and all I'm asking you to do is reach up. So that's you when you want to know for sure that you have an eternal friendship with Jesus Christ, just raise your hand right now, right where you're at, all over the room. Yeah, see, I see those hands. Thank you. Yeah, just keep those hands up. Keep those hands up. We want to acknowledge that. We got it there up in the mezzanine as well. Thank you. Young and old, thank you so much. Anyone else? You're like, I want to be sure I'm a friend with God. Just raise that hand right now. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. I see those hands. Thank you so much. We're just going to get you a yes packet so we can get you a free Bible when you fill it out before you go today. We want to celebrate that. Anyone else? I just want to be sure I'm a friend with God. Anyone else? 
Thank you. Keep those hands up until we get that to you. Up there in the mezzanine as well. All right, let's, let's pray. If you guys would repeat after me a prayer to the Lord. Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus. Jesus, thank you for coming for me. Thank you for dying for me on the cross, taking my sin and my shame upon yourself. Thank you for rising again so I could have eternal life with you in heaven and I could have a full life here on earth. I receive your forgiveness. I receive your freedom. And I receive your friendship. I'm going to walk with you. And I'm going to talk with you. And I'm going to spend every day with you. Following you. Because my life belongs to you. In the name of Jesus. Amen, amen. Can we celebrate that? Thank you. Thank you, Lord. Woo. Yes. Yes, listen, if you prayed that prayer for the first time or the first time in a long time, we want to make sure you get your free Bible and that we help you on your next steps of faith. Listen, you got a room full of friends here that can help you on your walk and your journey with Christ. So hand that yes packet in to one of our ushers as you walk out the door, and we've got that free gift for you. But right now, we're going to celebrate in a tangible way what we just prayed through communion. So if you could begin to hand out the elements, and if you guys would just hold on to the juice and the bread, we'll take them together. And while they're being handed out during this ministry song, just ask the Lord to examine your heart. Ask him to show you how you can improve your relationships and serve those in your life. Jesus, why to Savior, why to Yeah. 
We can't understand it. We can't even wrap our minds around this love. God, we know we don't deserve it and we can't earn it. God, but we receive it and we celebrate it today, God, that you left heaven, came to earth, took on our body, our skin, our sin, our shame. You endured the beatings and the bruises and the, and the cuts and the nails. God, for, for what we had done, you suffered. You laid down your life, God, and your body was broken so that we could be made whole and holy. And God, this juice that we hold in our hand representing the purest blood to every be poured out, God, that you would love us. God, because you faced every sin that we've given into, and yet, God, you did not sin. So that you could be a pure sacrifice for us, the holy and pure Lamb of God, taking the sins of the world. So that we could be made pure and clean and free of shame. Jesus, this love is amazing. There's so many people that don't know about this love. They think it has to be earned. They, they think, God, that, that, that somehow you're a million miles away when you're really right here, God. And your presence is in this room, and we don't ever want to take for granted what it is that you've done for us, Jesus. And through the celebration of communion, God, we are reminded of the power of covenant. God, because you established a friendship with us, God, we can have true friendships with others in this life. God, let us never underestimate the covenant love of Jesus Christ and that that love invade every single relationship in our lives. In your name we pray and thank you. Amen. Let's partake. Thank you, Jesus.